In my experience, uh, the product data is always um, dealt with last. It, it, it's something that um, quite often when new products are launched or businesses are looking to actively market their portfolio, they 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 they, um, they omit the, the data or the data requirements. I think the manufacturers have the data somewhere, you know, but it's siloed. It's, you know, you know, Harry will have, have the images on the hard drive in one place, Bob will have it in the other, and, but it's not all brought together. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Metro Insights, a show dedicated to the construction industry. Today, we're talking all about product data. Why is it important? What is a PIM? What's the contractor perspective on this? What is the golden thread and a lot more? And to help us unpack this very important topic, we have three fantastic guests here today. First up is Suzanne Adgar, Director of NG15. Hello, Suzanne. Good morning. Um, Suzanne, just uh, we always like to do this before we, we get into the conversation. If you can give people listening a bit of an overview of who you are and what you do. Yes, uh, I'm Suzanne Adgar and I'm the Managing Director for NG15. And I look after both sides of our business. Um, I look after promotion of the growth of EPIM, our product information management system, and also our digital side of the business, uh, where we help customers with digital catalogue and lots of other marketing projects. Fabulous. Thank you very much. And next we have Sean Cranston, Managing Director of NG15. Hello, Sean. I've changed my title. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I'm now CEO and founder. Oh, okay. Very elaborate. We have a new managing director. So, uh, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Um, my name is Sean Cranston. I'm CEO and founder of EPIM. Um, basically, my, my role has been working on uh, EPIM for the last 12 years. Um, uh, it was originally designed as a, an in house system for ourselves, but what we did is we decided to launch it as a product. Uh, and that we did that in 2017. NG15 is a 30 year old business. Uh, in, 2000, in two years' time, so we've been around a long time. And ironically, our other guests, which you're going to introduce shortly, uh, I used to work for NG Bales as a as a, an apprentice and electrical contractor. Right. So uh, basically, the things that we're going to talk about today is I've actually schooled them to a wall and wired them up at some point <laughs> in my life. So yeah, that's what I do. Uh, so basically, my role is you know uh, talking to customers and developing EPIM. Fabulous. Thank you very much. And finally, we have Phil Thompson uh, from the contractor perspective. And Phil, I understand recently there's been a, a check. You were formerly of NG Bailey. That's correct. Yeah. So over to you. Yeah. So I did 34 years at uh, NG Bailey, um, sort of man and boy. I started a little bit after Sean, so he's got a bit more pedigree than I, than I have. Um, but um, my role within that organization was involving the, the grass, right from grassroots, as, as Sean mentioned, putting the products on the wall, doing projects engineering. And then in the last six, seven years, was heavily involved in product data, um, working with the supply chain, looking at the changes that are coming through with the, the Building Safety Act. So now, um, since leaving that organization, I've set myself up on my own. and uh, My business is Information Management Squared. Uh, and I'm looking for, to support the, the, the supply chain, the contractors on their uh, digital journey. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Well, it goes without saying, we're really grateful to have you here today. As you know, we're talking about product data. Um, and the first, to, to get us started, the first question is a bit of an obvious one, but we all know that product data is incredibly important throughout the supply chain, um, but it's often overlooked or in many cases neglected. Um, I think I know the answer to this, 
but would you agree with this? I think we'll start with you, Phil, from a contractor perspective. Definitely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, in my experience, uh, the product data is always um, dealt with last. It, it, it's something that um, quite often when new products are launched or businesses are looking to actively market their portfolio, they 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 they, um, they omit the, the data or the data requirements. So uh, as an example, um, with it, in a previous life, we may have been looking to engage um, a new manufacturer, um, have a new agreement in place where we'd be looking to purchase a, a, a range of products from a from a, a manufacturer. So, say, for example, uh, electrical containment systems. Mm-hmm. Um, that that agreement would be brought online on a particular date, but quite often the the data requirements wouldn't be in place in order to actually process the transaction. So. The, the, the point of having the structured data would be to allow um, engineers, um, supervisors, et cetera, to select the items, to define what they want in terms of the, um, to allow the supply chain to deliver it. But if that structured data just isn't there, it's not been validated and it's not available to select from, then you're, you're on the back foot straight away. Right, okay. And what's the, so what's the knock-on effects of that then? Does that just cause, is it just massive? I'm guessing there's financial implications in there. Yeah, many many issues arise from it. Obviously, the biggest one is the fact that you you can't have a, a defined price file because if you don't define the what, you can't define the how much. So without without that information being in place, then you're always playing catch up. So if you want to process a, an, an order through from a requisition through to purchase order, what piece of information do you actually use? And then at that point, then you may rely on someone to use some sort of free text description, or they might just be doing it. Um, in, in a more analog way, you know, up the phone, can, can you send me 10 lengths of X, Y, Z? And if that product isn't defined, then that information just then gets translated and becomes Chinese whispers. Okay. And the data that you do receive, or you would have received, would that meet your expectations or would it fall short? I would say it would depend on the uh, the manufacturer. Some manufacturers are really good if they're working with, with, with a PIN provider, if they have an in-house um department to deal with the data then it could be really good but generally my my experience is, is that the data would be um poor okay okay and sean ng15 um you guys seem to be quite pioneering um in this area yeah so how are you looking to how are you trying to address this i think from our perspective the the whole data issue is, is a problem in the supply chain currently. Mm. There's there, there's no real sort of connection. Any manufacturer that we talk to in the first stages, you know, their 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 quality of product data is, is as Phil says, is potentially poor. I think the manufacturers have the data somewhere, mm. you know, but it's siloed. It's you know, you know, Harry will have have the images on the hard drive in one place, Bob will have it in the other, and but it's not all brought together. But you know, the quality of the technical product data, and it needs to be accurate because it affects the customer experience doesn't it if 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 i'm if i'm a customer looking at data and and it's wrong i can't make that buying decision i can't make that purchasing decision so as a pin provider what we're trying to do is we're trying to create and there's a saying we call it the central source of truth yeah we're trying to create one place where then you can manage it in one place and you can feed it outwards to the supply chain so that's really what what our focus is uh because it, it just improves customer experiences so the problem that Phil's experience, we fix that because now he gets up to date. And I think the other key thing as well, and, and we've been doing a lot of webinars on it, is is the connection between the manufacturer 
and the customer. Yeah. There's no connection. If you go to other industries like the car industry, you, you'll, you'll, data is available for everything. But in our industry, there's no connection. So the manufacturer sends a spreadsheet out and then all of a sudden he's, he's, he's amended it. So mm. it's now out of date. It's like data sheets, they're out of date. So what we're aiming to do is connect the two together. You know, so it's called syndicated of data. So the manufacturer updates it, the customer receives it. Okay. And I, why do you think that there is this disparity? Is that the right word? Uh, probably apathy is better. Apathy, yeah. Yeah. Well, why do you think that is? I mean, you probably you could reverberate I, this back to me. To be fair. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I mean, you guys have you guys have got on board with it, and you're you you recognise it. I don't know why there's an apathy, because if I'm if you're it's like going into a car showroom and saying, well, we're not going to tell you what the size of the engine is, but this is a lifeless-looking car, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. But if you look out there, uh, you know, on, on web platforms, on, you know, on on the data, the data pools that we have out there, it's just all incomplete. I don't know why there's an apathy. Maybe prior to COVID, maybe there wasn't such a, you know, a so, sort of need, mm. if you like. But now we're, we're, COVID has driven us into a more online presence. Maybe that's now walking people up a little bit. But I don't know why yeah. there's an apathy. I, I, don't, I don't really know. Do you feel? It, yeah. It, you, could, you can describe it as apathy, but I think um, if you analyse um, who the manufacturers perceive their customers to be, because ultimately they may be focusing on architects, end clients, et cetera, and they may be trying to sell their products to that ultimate client, but the, within the the contracts and industry construction, there is a number of different supply chains and, and actors that need that you need to then be collaborating with. So obviously the contractor, you know, they they their their task is to take the product and install it for the client. So mm. if you're a manufacturer and you you have products and you're pushing them through your marketing channels, you may be. Uh, pushing that information from a kind of aesthetics perspective or you might be showing the information in a glossy brochure it doesn't necessarily need to be data-led because that information is you, you're trying to sell the product to the end client to, to you know to, to place an order but when you're the contractor you're looking at more um, granular information around the product so if you just take something around the pricing of the de of the products if it's a linear item it needs to know we need to know how is that product priced and the actual length of the product. You know, we get uh, electrical items in three and six meter lens, mechanical items come in, in one, two, three, uh, 3.2, 6.4, depending on the product. So there's a number of different variables that are not really addressed. And the, the, the problem is, is that the, the manufacturers don't perhaps understand the, the requirements of each actor within the supply chain. Mm. Okay, okay, fair point. And what I mean, we've we've gone on this journey with with you, Sean and Suzanne, with yeah. with NG fifteen, um, because you know, as you said earlier, we we recognise how how important this is, and it is, and you know, we've still got information that's in different silos, and we're trying yeah. to harmonise that now through through our EPIM. But is this these these um, issues that Phil's raising here are they addressed as as people are taken on this journey? Yeah, some of it is. I mean. The, the PIM is really about the technical side of this, not the aesthetics. Yeah. I mean, we are introducing uh, what we call like free text and free pages where where you can add 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 sort of the 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 other information, the marketing information for a product. We are introducing fields to do that. But but pr prominently at this moment in time, it's about technical information. It's about the technical aspects of the product. It's about, and, and also the assets as well, because 
if, you, if you're working in lighting, you've got energy labels, you've got uh, LDT files, you've got, there's a whole host of things that are attached visually to the, to the actual technical data itself. So it's about bringing it all together. But I think from as a PIM provider, I think it's an ever moving platform because there's no one way of doing it. You've just got to listen to your customers, listen to the people, the manufacturers that we work for. And, and they come up with some really great ideas. Um, so what we're doing now at the moment, we're looking at, for lighting companies, we're looking at uh, integrating Relux uh, information and the global uh, lighting data files that are now available. So mm. we're looking at integrating it because it's just more information where people can provide it in different formats. Um, so uh, we have a, a, an element of EPIM. If you're selling it to France, we, we introduced the e-commerce button, Fabdis. Right. You know, that's already built in. So we can build these things in as customers require them. Uh, and uh, that includes the aesthetic part of things, you know, the, the, what I call the glossy marketing yeah. as well as the technical side. So it's an ever-evolving platform. And there's a real encouragement there from what I'm hearing of collaboration across the industry as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, the, I think the industry is waking up, you know, uh, they're, they're waking up to the fact that it just makes it easier. If you've got it all in one place, it makes it easier to manage and feed out. It, but when you silo your information, it's more difficult to manage because you don't know you know, what the guy next year is doing. Yeah. So all in one place is, is definitely the best way to go. And it makes a big difference to manufacturer sales. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not mentioning names, but uh, one of our clients has already uh, won two brand new contracts purely based on the improvements, the data right. they put in place. So it's, it's a winning situation. Yeah, absolutely. I do think there's a bit of a, it's a bit head in the sand you know, because you've got this information all over the place. And I can speak from personal experience that this is not, I mean, <laughs> sure, you probably disagree, but it's not a, it's not a fun task to go oh, through no, and bring all no. your data into one place. Um, you know, it, it is laborious, but man, you know, when you get past that, it's so worth it. It's really quite, li really quite liberating. I think, I think COVID highlights it all really, because for me, I was standing up in front of, you know, uh, 80 people in a room in 2019 talking about this and they were all looking at me with blank faces and tapping on the phones, thinking, <laughs> what is he, an alien? What's he on about? What's product data? We don't know anything about. But now those same people have come back. Oh, yeah, we, you were talking about product data. You were talking how important. And now we realise, yeah, because, oh, we need, a, we need an online platform. But obviously, without data and product information, you can't create an online platform. Yeah. So they're coming back. Uh, but then you get the reverse problem. That's the consume consumption end. Then you go to the manufacturers and they're not creating it. So it's about bringing it together. It's about, once again, go back to what I said earlier, that, that syndication model, that end-to-end -end yeah. solution. That's what needs to happen. And if the whole industry got on board with that and we had manufacturers creating it, customers consuming it, every, it would just make everybody's life so much easier. And all the things that Phil highlighted would just be solved because it's there and it's and more importantly it's maintained yeah and it's nuanced as well in terms of again what, what each person or each element of the supply chain require because if you're a contractor you might be interested in some of the like you like you said uh, jake some of the dull things like um you know for instance it's a wiring accessory does it have backed out terminals because mm. that makes a difference to your installation and it can affect your productivity whereas again if you're an end client you're looking at the more kind of glossy side of the aesthetics of it but understanding the, the data requirements for each element of the supply chain and, and how those are used i mean estimation systems again that are used by, by the, in yeah. the contracting space they have their own set of requirements 
um, but which are not relevant to, to perhaps an end client. But if they're, if they're not built to to support the contractors or the de- or the um, the platforms that are available in the marketplace, then again the, the data is not going to work. Yeah, I mean I think like, I I haven't been in this industry for for too long. It's been nearly seven years now. Um, but what and I said this on on the the last um, episode that we did when we had uh, Maria Coulter on, and I don't think people, from what I've seen, people in our industry at each level of the supply chain don't talk enough. Um, we all it all feels a little bit disjointed. Um, we hear a lot. I know there's a lot of external factors that have caused delays in construction projects and everything, but we're not. We don't seem to be getting together um, as an industry enough. To, to streamline all this. I mean, you've got other software like BIM that's sitting out there that I, I don't know what uh, your opinions on, on BIM are, but I'm getting a bit off topic now. Well, I mean, but BIM, BIM crops up, doesn't it? It crops up a lot. Um, but once again, it's, it's, it's data driven. Yeah. You know, so it's just a matter of having more, but then you need the models, obviously, yeah. to represent the data. But there's a typically a manufacturer going down there or buying it's an expensive journey. Yeah. You know, so they, 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 they may avoid it. Uh, there are some what we call like generic models, isn't there? Like you can get generic models, but they're not always the best thing. Uh, you know a little bit more about BIM, don't you? I think. Yeah, yeah but it's not really my topic. The the, the problem, the whole BIM agenda. Um, it, it again, the um, in the contractor space, uh, a lot of people are quite wary about um, the, the information that's provided. Mm. When when there was a, a requirement that the, the government set a number of years ago now around uh, to reach the different levels of BIM and a lot of manufacturers invested heavily in having their their, their, their product data available, um, in many cases that that product data was overwhelming. It couldn't be used in models. So as an example, very kind of mundane uh, products which you will require um, to add to a model. The uh, the information relating to those products was just was was too big. So, for instance, it might it might include the radius of a particular uh, of, of an edge of a wiring accessory, for example. But when you start to put all those uh, information into the model and you get multiple instances, it just overloads the model, and then the model you know the the, the system struggles to open it, right. especially if it's maybe cloud based and they're struggling with um, the infrastructure at a site level, which a lot of sites do. So you've got this kind of disparity between one kind of what the model's trying to achieve, but the reality of actually trying to make it work. Right. So the the BIM it's, BIM itself, um, you know, some people got their, their fingers burned with the, the the investment of BIM, and I think that's made them wary about this whole product data journey. Okay, okay. Well, why don't we get into what exactly we need to do? So if we start, sure, I'm going to come back to you for this one. So we've mentioned this acronym PIM several times now. What is PIM or APIM um, and why is it important for businesses to implement? Product Information Management, sometimes called MDM, Master Data Management. Okay. Sometimes referred to as that. But basically, it allows... Any company, and a PIM, not just in our industry, a PIM can be used in retail, it can be used uh, and is used constantly in retail. Basically, it's a place to put all your information into one system Mm -hmm. that's managed by all. The key thing to that, though, is that uh, it's collected, it's managed. Uh, You can create channels and feeds from a PIM. So you can... uh, a typical channel would be your website. Mm-hmm. So once you've got all your information, all your assets in one place, you can feed your website. So you can create marketing channels. I mean, eBay, Amazon—they're all—they're all channels. Yeah. You know, you can—you could also feed them. So gathering all the information in one place, maintaining it, keeping it accurate, making sure that everything's up to date, 
and also allowing your customers to consume that data. That's basically what the PIM does as a product in, 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 its, uh, in its entirety, really. Okay. So for people who are just starting their PIM journey, yeah. what would be your initial recommendations? Well, the first thing is a, a data audit. Right. Where are you today? So we'll get some good results from that. They'll say, well, we've, we've got a spreadsheet. I mean, I, my, my attitude to spreadsheets are they were designed for your accountant to do your tax return. They were never designed to store data. But the whole world's adopted them. Now, we, we, we come across customers that, well, I've got 20 PDFs that I fax out to, you know, to, <laughs> to my customers. And, 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 and seriously, we still have a customer that does that. Yeah. Uh, so it's a data audit. Let's find out where their information is, and we start to bring it together. You know, we start to we are, we start to normalize the data to, to, to make sure that it's you know it, it's readable. You know, because there's little things like you know when you have say length, they'll put length twenty millimeters. Well, in actual fact, it should be length millimeters twenty. You know, it's called normalization of data. So right. we work through all of that. So we basically bring it in line so that it's usable on sort of most platforms when it goes out there. Uh, but the main thing is data audit, bring it all together, get all the information in, and then we'll see. And then we'll start to add things like taxonomy, you know, so we can start to categorize it for them. And we'll start to bring it, and then we'll we'll do audits in, uh, in other areas, what they've got, and basically bring it into one central source of truth. Okay. And you've mentioned you've mentioned syndication a few times yeah. um, through this discussion, which is a big thing. Um, a bigger, yeah. Yeah, and that was that was what really got um, well, certainly me excited because I was the one that was having to send the spreadsheet over to Luckins all the time, which was yeah. <laughs> you know. I mean, the, the the syndication model that we've we've done with Luckins is is really about keeping everybody up to date. Mm. So the basics of it is is that if you're a manufacturer and you're connected to that Luckins syndication service that we work with. And, and the, the wholesaler, say, downloads that information on this side and he puts it on his website. It's now connected right back through the chain to the manufacturer. So let's say manufacturer spots a mistake. Oh, the IP rating's wrong. So what he does, he amends it and then it just and then he presses his button and it feeds all the way through. So in actual fact, the wholesaler's website gets updated. Yeah. Because any pro- and it does say in the system, you know, you've had a looking update and, and, and it's a remote update. So what you're doing there is you're you're making that connection. And to be honest with you, and that that's not just also that can be through to contracting apps and estimating systems. It can be the whole hog on the other end. And and it and without syndication, to be honest with you, a PIM system really is just managing data. What we're trying to do is expand that, and we'll say, yeah, have a PIM system, but Let's connect it as well. Yeah. Let's have the connection side. It's just another silo without the syndication. Yeah. Without the syndication, it's yeah. just another silo. Absolutely. So we we have we, recognised that. So we're driving this syndication model, and uh, you know we have quite a lot of manufacturers already working on it, and we're going. We've got some more initiatives coming out this year, which are going to expand upon that, because we just need to link the industry in that sense. Have you felt positive? This is something I was going to ask later on, but. Because you've mentioned you've got a number of manufacturers on there now, yeah. do you feel more positive about things as, as as you know in the current state of play, or is there still a long, long, long way no, to go? They're, they're slow. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I don't know whether you are. But <laughs> they are. Also, there's a lot of obstacles that get in the way. We were talking about this at the beginning, and one of the things that we find is when we ring manufacturers to talk to them about their data, they'll say, "I'm doing my website." 
I'll come back to PIM later. And that isn't really the way right to do it. Around. It's the wrong way around. And only this week I've had this example. And I really think if they just take one step back and try to walk before they run, get mm. their data sorted out, and then they can feed their channels, including mm. their website. Otherwise, they're sat there doing it manually. Yeah. And that's still adding to the problem. You're still inconsistent with your data. Yeah. Oh, I can attest to that as well. Yeah, it, it is true. I mean, you yeah. know, there are a lot of people, as Suzanne says, you know, doing the website first and then doing the product data after. It's like, yeah, wrong way around. I, I've come across many examples like that. Like Suzanne said, the, the way to do it would be to, first of all, to have your your data and then your website is, in, in essence, a channel, you know, mm. one of many that, that you output your information, you display that to, to your customers, etc. But the adoption of the PIM, I, I, I do fully support those, but a lot of manufacturers, in my experience, what they're doing is they may be having somebody working on the PIM over here, but then their sales team will still be providing their data templates or spreadsheets mm -hmm. to their customers. And it's important that the, the, the manufacturers recognize the things they need to stop doing. Mm. Because if they're going to have a PIM system and invest in you know structured data and, and, and have some um, trust around that, then it's no point undermining that by having another department in your organization sending out information which conflicts with that information that, you, that you're trying to support through your PIM. Yeah. Yeah, and you also need collaboration between your web company, whoever you're dealing with, and the PIM provider. Yeah. That's very important because we also work with manufacturers who have websites and the, the providers of those websites want to charge an arm and a leg for bringing in an API connection, which is just ludicrous. So you need to have, you need to establish that relationship if you're going to you know, launch yeah. a new website to start with and always put PIM first. I mean, picking up Phil's point about spec sheets, I mm. mean, we, we were the first to bring out uh, what we call a dynamic data sheet. We won an award for it at the Electrical Wholesalers yeah. Awards as the best industry initiative. What that basically does is it takes that manufacturer data and the sales guys can produce spec sheets directly from it. Mm. But there are no spec sheets. There isn't another department. They just they just, they just hit a button and it's produced by the data that's available today. Mm. The problem is, is that you go on a lot of manufacturer websites, they've got spec sheets that are from 10 years old. Yeah. And, 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 and I was talking to one yesterday who was, they've just spent the last year doing spec sheets for their entire product range <laughs> in Word and then creating PDFs. Yeah. And then I've made a revelation, well, you, don't, you can scrap all of that now because we're just going to do it dynamically. Mm. So you do your data and the data sheets will produce themselves. I, I also think there's mis-selling around data sheets because sometimes it's a it's a term that's just banded around the industry, send me your data sheet, but there's data sheets and there's data sheets. Some yeah. is on one page and it just has the dimensions on there and very little else. Mm. As, as a contractor, in my experience, the, the data sheets that we would always be trying to um, draw in would be the, um, the the sheets that have got like the test data on there, the accreditations on it, something of more substance that demonstrates that the product has integrity. Yeah, so it's almost like the data sheets that you that you were receiving or or currently are being produced were. Oh, what's the best way of putting it? It was the just. They, yeah. Uh, yeah, they need to be they need to be uh, labeled in a particular yeah. way in order that people know what they're getting because sometimes people might say, "Oh, well there's there's my data sheet, here's a link to my website, I'll send it over on email." But when you get it, it's not it doesn't do the data sheet justice. Mm. Okay. I mean, a lot of stuff you've been talking about there is 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 very um 
relatable. Certainly, you know, data sheets that are uh, perhaps out of date um, on company websites and start with the, you know, start with the data first. That's where we, we've got our um, PIM with you guys. And at the moment, it's it's being used. We've had a couple of customers come to us and the, the, the NG15 team have, have been brilliant. Certainly take a load of work off us. Um, but there's always more we can be doing. And we're now in the early stages of a new website and it's all being driven by this. We're trying to do it the right yeah. way around. Yeah, to do it. yeah but, but you can also add other things to data sheets. Like, you know, there's other, there's other information like installation instructions, certificates of conformity. Mm. There's a whole list of what I call assets you can add to the PIM. Um, we've got one client that generates, so the text on his certificate of conformity, the actual text is actually as data. So basically, when they produce that, it, it brings those elements into the sheet as well. So they can add. Um, basically, we can create any document, providing it's in the data. So mm. the information is in the data. We can create a document. Yeah. It's just it's just it's just an HTML page created as a PDF. So it's not hard to do. So we can expand upon it. It doesn't just have to be technical data. We can start. One of the things in the pin we've done is we've split it up now. So we've got technical data. We've got marketing data. We've got packaging data. We could have relux data. We could have. It doesn't really matter. It, they're just fields, and then we can take that information, which is maintained, and we can create, you know, quite comprehensive documents if we want to. And you can create new fields as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, absolutely. Yeah. You guys are so flexible. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we've asked for I think two or three new fields um, to be dropped in that just make yeah. sense to us. It's the one thing about EPIM since we've been working on it that we've sort of run out of ideas, really. <laughs> And what we listen now, we listen to the the manufacturers because that's where it all starts. And we say that they want this field, they'd like this bit, they'd like, you know, this would work great. It's like the relux thing I mentioned. It's just that we happen to be talking to a lighting company and they want those elements in. Mm. And it sounds like a good idea. We, we do have a lot of lighting companies uh, on board with EPIM. So from that perspective, it's something we'll do because it's great for the customer. So the customers are now starting... The, it's like the, the manufacturers want to drive what EPIM looks like mm. rather than us because we, you can only build a PIM to a certain point and then it has to be customer-driven and industry-led. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It has to be. Well, isn't that, yeah, that's the holy grail, isn't it? Because it, it get, you get an investment from us as the manufacturer. Um, and if we're forming and shaping it, working with contractors as well, um, all of a sudden you get this true harmony. I'm trying to sound a bit prophetic, sorry, but... Uh, no, it's, well, that's the essence of collaboration, though, isn't yeah. it? Is that understanding what, what each person requires and, you know, to, to come back to what we said at the beginning, it's just that, that core data, you know, is it there? Does it represent the product? Has it got sufficient baseline information in there for each, each actor within the supply chain to be able to yeah. use? Mm. Talking about the data itself, then, because we've talked a lot, of, a lot there about data sheets and, and missing information. How does that... How does the quality of um, technical data impact the supply chain and, and the, the overall customer experience, would you say? Um, I think high-quality product data helps reduce errors. It also creates sales because if the, if the information is readily available, then you can make a buying decision. But if you're missing information, which you often are, then you can't. It's hard. But you imagine the contractor looking at the information and say, well, I've got a picture and a description, but I've got nothing else. Yeah. But on this, from this manufacturer, oh, I've got all the all the information I need to make a decision or yeah. put into my quote. I've got it; it's available. So there's other things like you know, high quality data, uh, data governance. I've got some things on my notes here: data validation, cleansing processes, 
regular data quality audit. These are all things the manufacturer needs to do. They need to take responsibility. There's, there's, there's a saying in, in the industry about manufacturer owning their data, and it should be. We're only at the end of the day, we're providing systems to deliver. Yeah. We're not the owners of the data. You guys are the owners of the data. And, and you know, things like when you're doing e-commerce, if somebody's making a decision on accurate data, then there's less returns. Mm. You know, you're not going to get returns. But if, if the product comes and it's wrong, then because returns cause problems, you know, you can't sell it on as new, you know, so there's, there's value in all of that. So it's about the manufacturer taking responsibility. But there are some rules that they have to follow. It's not, you know, and it is a bit slapdash at times. You know, it's not all done. Just on the point you raised on data quality as well, my take on it is always that there was there was data quality and then there was um, data for, um, for product quality. And what I mean by that is that my approach was always that um, I wanted to have access to, to all data. That includes the products that, as a contractor, we would we want to avoid. So if you had a white list and a black list for, for products, you'd want to make sure that the, the items on the, for, that, that was fully populated so that you know that you can you can procure those items and that, that they fit with your agreements and they've got some integrity around them. But also if there's products which you, you want to avoid that don't have um, the quality elements and they don't have the integrity, but without the data for them, you can't control that. You can't ring fence them. So it's important that everybody recognises, in my opinion, that you need data for everything, not just the things that you, you're going to you're going to procure or transact. You, you, you need it for everything so you can separate them. We seem quite a reactionary industry. Sorry, we seem quite reactionary. We don't yeah, seem absolutely. proactive. Um, again, like I said, I'm, I'm talking with, with with absolutely with lesser experience. Um, but would you? Who should we be looking to? What what sectors or industries should we be looking to to learn from? I don't know whether there is another comparative industry, is there really? But <sighs> it's um, I don't think any. There's no one industry that's no. kind of nailed it. But but I think if you're gonna um, look to um, take some guidance, in, it would be probably the retail industry. But 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 that they they are not without their their own issues. But but at least they have got a more collaborative approach. Uh, to the the, uh, the adoption of, of data, and what a move the conversation on a bit now. What are some emerging uh, trends, technologies in the in the PIM space that businesses should be aware of? Emerging technologies. I think that I don't think there's anything very specific because we haven't got the basics right yet. <laughs> so you know, let's get the basics right, and then we can move on. Um, but I mean, there's all this talk of AI. Yeah. I mean that's big at the moment, you know, Chat GPT and all of that. Uh, that that that's coming on. Um, you know, we talk about Phil has a fantastic word, don't we? It's called interoperability. Interoperability. Inter that's I right. can't even say it. Yeah. But it's like it's like machine learning, right? Data validation tools. They could come into in in, in the PIM space. Uh, automated cleansing processes. Automated normalization of data, where we can take data and normalize it across that. Those things could be interested. The data has got to be right. To uh, it has, yeah. Uh, route, so. I think uh, that that's the important thing regarding any new technologies coming is that we we've got to be uh, realistic yeah. about the the fact that Sean said that the get the basics right first. Because if you don't get the basics right, if that information isn't there, mm. then there's no point in adopting um, some fantastic piece of technology or a new platform just because it's new 
Yeah, and, and it, you actually compound your problems because then you're going to go down the road of having this complex, perhaps an ERP system, etc. But if you're going to have this, um, you, it's going to undermine that with poor data. You're going to get a garbage in, garbage out approach. So unless you get the information right in the first place, and I've seen examples of that, you know, in the previous lives where organisations are constantly wrestling with these these platforms and they invest a lot of money in them to. to in in the you know the, the view is that, oh well this will improve our business processes and give us transparency etc cetera, etc cetera. but the some of the basics are not done then you, you know you end up with this long tail of problems to deal with and that's what we offer at ng15 you know from a manufacturer's point of view they might be struggling for you know the right amount of staff or the right you know the right um kind of infrastructure to sit and actually look at product data but what we can do at ng15 is we can support all of that and we work very hard. We've got a team of data experts, including Sean sat here, that can take a good look at the data, analyze it, and then get it in ship shape form. Yeah, we all you know, can get the basics board. right. They're yeah, never alone. We're not, we're not here never. to say that you know, we, we're going to create all this amazing technology. But getting those basics right, if we can get all our manufacturing customers to get that bit right, then the other thing is that the nice the nice have that's out there at the minute we can probably start to look at the Phil is absolutely right without that core data being correct then it's like like Phil said it's you know bad stuff in bad stuff out yeah. and, and also it's, it's also worth noting as well that um, even an organisation like NG fifteen the work that they may do on 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 the data and the governance and the working with the, with the manufacturer. The, the key is as well is to recognize wh where the gaps are and sometimes a manufacturer might deliver a data set to to a pin provider and, and then th that that pin provider might come along and say yeah we, we you know we've done some work on it and it's all good to go mm -hmm. but if that only covers 98 percent of the, the items a manufacturer wants to sell and I've, I've come across examples of where people have given things the, the, the thumbs up the green light and said yeah it's all good brilliant all done um and i've said are you sure and then three months down the line, you find something's not there. And it's not that there's 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 the data's incorrect. It's just that the line's missing. The information for that particular product hasn't even been included yeah. because somebody may perceive it to be unimportant or it's low sales. Yeah. But it doesn't matter how many of an item is sold, we still need the data within the industry in order to, 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 to measure it. Yeah. I can understand from a manufacturer's perspective, though, because it's the old 80-20 rule, isn't it? 20% yeah. of your products are 80% of your sales. So... Based on that fact, well, we'll just do really great data yeah. for our twenty percent, yeah. and the other eighty percent gets left. But Phil's absolutely right; you you need a complete. Now, I think a manufacturer can start like that. They can say, "Well, let's get the important things out because we sell millions of pounds of this, and then we'll do them first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you've still got to do the others. You can't leave it. You've got to do. If 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 a product's going out there into supply chain, it needs to have the good stuff with it. it you can't just leave it. But you, but you can structure it so that you're not doing it all in one go. Because like you said earlier, Jake, it's like it's a big uphill to get it done in the first place. Yeah. But then it's a maintenance problem. And, and some manufacturers generally don't know how many products they've got. The bigger you are as a manufacturer, yeah. the, the bigger your portfolio. Mm -hmm. There isn't probably anybody within any department that can actually um, say, you know, nail their cluster mass and say, yeah, that is exactly how many products that we, we have got in our catalogue and our portfolio. Well, I just 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 come into my head just now is one of the things we've done in EPIM is is a component management tool because obviously a lot of manufacturers bring things into build, so we're talking about products here, aren't we? We're talking about the top level product that we're selling, but what about all the bits that make up that product yep. sometimes? So what we've introduced in right. EPIM, it's a bit like a bomb tool, a bill of materials tool, but but what it does is basically allows you to 
bring in components and manage the next level down. Yeah. Because I think that's also important. Yeah. Especially for lighting companies, typically, because they bring in a lot of bits and pieces to, to, to build product. So we put that into EPM already and we have customers already using it for component management because components also have technical data, core data, they have images, they have a whole host of things. So by adding that into EPM, it gives a what we call the next level down from your product you're selling to the bits that you're selling as well. And it can be used for spare parts and all that type of thing. But uh, it's something we put in because we thought it was important. And and that's also important, again, from a contractor's perspective. So if you have damages or um, items go missing at at site, you might not want to replace the whole product. You might just need a few components, some Mm -hmm. spares. So to be able to access information for, for the spares to replace certain items or to, to, to kind of um, reassemble it on site is really important. And and also the, the other end of the spectrum, you've got then the offsite assembly. So you uh, as well as taking um, the, the, the product itself, you then, you're adding those items into a sub assembly that, that a, a contractor in many cases may, may be creating within their own factory environment and then deliver that to site. That then has its own set of data requirements. Okay. I'm, I'm personally quite interested in the, um, like I said earlier, we're not. We're, we seem to be quite a reactive industry. We don't seem to be particularly proactive. Um, in some element, you know, in some instances, I think we are. Um, certainly, with things like this, I don't believe that we are. Do you think? Do you think that people truly that the industry knows how important this this is, the manufacturer and possibly the wholesaler level as well? I think two sides to the fence there I'll just talk about the wholesaler I, I, I don't think I mean the wholesalers have not really got to grip with the whole online yeah sort of, there, there are there are key I think the nationals have that they have online presences a bit I think the the independent sector which is probably about 35% of our entire market as far as electrical is concerned I don't think they've all grasped it they're all attempting in their little ways uh, but to them, the trade counter is still important, and I, and I and I totally agree the trade counter because you know the one thing you get from a trade counter is you get the experience, don't you? They might walk in and say, oh, "I'm looking for something for this job, but I don't quite know what it is," and they get the advice. That's something you can't really get from a website yeah. as such. Is that personal, that personal sort of contact and touch? Uh, so I don't think they've totally grasped it. On the manufacturer side, I think it's the same. I think there's there's a there's some have. And some haven't. I mean, you know, we probably looking at, there's probably around about 160 manufacturers, which is probably 80% of the marketplace, right. roughly, as a, as a number. But, you know, you look at a lot of those and they're, they're, they're nowhere near. I don't, I don't think they've grasped the whole importance of it at all. You know, I think they're just, but it's sort of one of those things that, that we, would, we, we signed a new customer yesterday and, and, but we've been talking to him for two years and it's like, oh, we realize now yeah. You know, we realised we should have done this two years well, ago. Well, what was that? What what led to that moment of realisation? A new managing director who knew what he was doing. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, but, 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 you know, because he came from an environment that was data-driven and yeah. he came and said, well, why, why aren't we doing it? Why, well, this is ridiculous. You know, call NG15 because that's what he used previously. Right. Yeah. But the thing is, it's that I think ultimately there'll be a tipping point and they'll all just realise that, yeah. that it needs to be done. You, you know, you can't buy a product without the correct information in anything you know it's like going back to the car again you know you need to know the engine size the wheel size you know what color seats it's got it's basic it seems like basic stuff to me but i don't know there's just i see so many products with no data no information and uh, and incorrect and that's the other thing 
Because without syndication, there's always going to be errors. What's it like on site, Phil? That's, a, um, um, that's something else I'm interested in because what Sean's saying there about it, you know, it's going back to the car. And when you when you go and buy a car, you know, it's typically a nice experience. Um, you, you know, you, the salesman brings you a nice coffee, um, and you, you know, you can go and sit in the car. You can choose your seats and everything else. Perhaps we don't see that as important on site. You know, we we, we don't liken whether um, you know how many lugs a switchbox has got compared to the size yeah. of the size of a car engine. But what's it like on site? Do, you know, I, I'm not going to say you get excited about the number of lugs on a switchbox, but you know, are you looking for? Are you really annoyed when that stuff isn't there? It's safe to say that um, it's not without its complications on, on site. And um, the, the, the way the current supply chain set up within the, the, the construction sector, in my view, doesn't help. Um, as an example, you still have M&E. Yeah. So, um, you know, as a contractor, um, a lot of contractors are MEP. So they're, so they're looking for that, that full array of building services products. So they really, what they're looking for is a solution where they go to a supply chain partner that can provide all those products. But the way it's settled at the moment, it's typically electrical and mechanical separately. And when they're providing linear products, you've got then uh, two deliveries, two sets of vehicles coming to site, and that then creates a whole lot of complications around the client and sustainability, et cetera. So that, that needs to change. But in, in terms of the actual data regarding the, the products. Your example on, the, on the, the box and the lugs is a good example. So I can recall an example where um, we had a requirement um, when, it, when I was in a previous life, when I was working for a, a contractor, we had a requirement for a, a single switch box, which had um, which needed to have two 25 mil knockouts in a single face. Mm -hmm. Now there was only one brand on the market that actually provided that at the time. Otherwise, the the products received uh, would have to be they'd have to be drilled out or enlarge the holes. So that then that simple uh, analysis and understanding of the product. You know, if you don't get that right, if the data isn't related to the product, then what that results in is item being delivered to site, which in, which is more productivity requirements. You know, and additional tools, etc. And it's just frustrating for the for the operators to be, you know to to have to pick a, a product up and then start to like change it really to make make it fit. So um, we, we did approach a manufacturer that had this this particular product, and it was it was like pulling teeth trying to get them to provide the data for their their their, their, their in essence their bat box mm -hmm. to tell us you know give us a drawing for example tell us what size holes they are in this particular face mm -hmm. and it was it took months and months and months just to get that information out of them to 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 add value so that we could then promote that product within our what we call like best practice yeah. so that that could be that could be used by the engine so that you, they would know the differences it's like Sean said just simple you know making decisions on information these products are pretty much the same price. And even if one was a little bit more expensive than the other, it's like no one would really care. Mm -hmm. But getting the right product in order to facilitate the installation, that was the important bit. Yeah, but I think, you know, how simple can it be? You know, tell me the number of knockouts and the size it, on a bike box. Yeah. I mean, it's not exactly rocket science, is it? Yeah. But it's missing. Well, you, you, you go and look for that level of information now within the supply chain. As it stands now, look at all, look at all the providers and look for that level of information. It's quite hard to find. Okay, okay. fair enough. It's just, it's, it's just interesting because I'm trying to um, I'm trying to to understand where we're where we're where, you know where we're lacking really um, because you know we're, as we're a manufacturer we have to put our hands up. We haven't been as on the ball as we want to be. Um, and you know, it's part of the reason for this conversation. In fact, it's the driving reason for this conversation today. Um, but I'm I'm conscious that between 
manufacturers and contractors. You, you have the, the wholesaler as well. Um, now, whilst the responsibility is on the manufacturer for the data, do you think there's anything more that wholesalers can be doing? Lots. Lots, yeah, they can, well, <laughs> well, they can start to consume the data when it's better available because, you know, you, I mean, you know, we offer, we offer a way for them to get any of the lookings data free of charge by the data sheet tool, you know, and there's a lot of information on there and it's growing all the time. As we get manufacturers, well, you, like you guys are pushing direct now, mm. and, and, and there are other money pushing direct. So the data is constantly updated. So they need to engage with that tool. Um, but I think that it's hard. It's hard to make them because I think it's an ages thing as well. I'm not being so horrible here, but uh, a, lot of, a lot of, if you go to any of the sort of like buying group meetings, it's, it's the older end, you know. Uh, I had one guy. I'll not mention the wholesaler, and he, he said to me, "This internet thing won't last, you know. You know, it's, it, it, you know, because he, he's still getting it on bits of paper. Yeah. Uh, but he's, but he's, he's, he's like eighty-two. But it's still, but, but what's going to happen is the younger generation are going to take over, and they're going to realize that, well, you know, actually, this is really important. You know, yeah. this stuff's really important, and we've got to have it. So, I think there's, there's definitely an apathy with, with wholesalers. Not all. Some are on board. I mean, if you take the nationals, like oh, I mean, you know, look at look at the CFs and Rexels. I mean, they've got great product data, you know, on their on their sites. You know, it's improving all the time, um, and they're making it available online and offline in the catalogs that they're producing. Mm. You know, we do the Rexel catalog, you know, and, and they've increased that now. You know, they're they're driving more because there's still a need yeah. for you know to 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 sit in your van and you know choose some products or do whatever. Well, so the wholesaler, as well as priding themselves service that they deliver yeah. because they all pride themselves on the service yeah, I think it's really important they need to also pride themselves on the data that they supply yeah and that needs to go back to the manufacturer so they need to demand that from the manufacturer and then the manufacturer will you know but but typically in the past so as I know it's like the data's not available and so they've got to phone up for it yeah and that's that that you know we live in a digital world it's just like just make it it's, it's not rocket science to make it available no. you know Manufacturer get it right, get the data correct, also it's available on tap. That's what the syndication model is, and that's why it's so important. If we can get that element right, end to end, then that's where we'll have a win. But the the, the biggest issue, in my view, is that the the the, the silos, the disconnect, if you like. So you you know you, you as a manufacturer, you're you're working hard to make your data uh, to improve your data, and and then to push it out through these the different channels. Have you have you ever checked? Have you ever like followed your information through a journey and and see how it ends up? Go go into go into some of your supply chain partners, sit behind their their, their desk at one of their terminals and have a look at how their how your information is being used in, in their ERP system. Um, my in my experience, there's a lot of manipulation of the, of the data and a lot of overriding of part numbers, which then results in substitution of products. Uh, and I think that there's a the biggest issue there in the industry is that the, a lot of the um, the supply chain partners, the merchants, they have, they've got to step back from the way they've done it in the past, which is to just to create and ring fence their own data and protect that and drive everything through their own stock codes and start to adopt a more agnostic approach so that your information is then transparent and also. So then, how how is you how do we ensure your information, as good as it may well be, is passed to the client? If someone in the middle of it has manipulated it or changed it, okay, okay. Well, I mean that that's one of the questions that we had. Dan is is following the um you know is following our data through a transactional journey, and I can't say with any certainty that we've ever 
as you suggested there, sat behind a, you know the, the portal at a customer and, and seen how it's delivered. Um, but it's something that I'll absolutely be relaying to the yeah, to the sales team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I would I would urge all manufacturers to do that. In, in my view, is just to to go you know and and just to understand. Sit, sit with, not necessarily go and talk to one of the buyers who's looking at looking at an agreement and then and, and then signing off a contract, but sit with the salespeople who actually process it for the customers and see how the information works. Does it? How does it flow through the system? What piece of information is more important than another, and what what is being changed? Because yeah. I think there's a real danger there that, that there's, there's some substitution or there's the level of ignorance around the products. You know, you you may have a product which is unique in the marketplace, or that, but somebody on the supply chain might not have that that knowledge or that training, and that might be just be substituting that product. W when I was working for, in, in the contract space, um, cable lugs was was a, a um, an area that we used to focus in upon because that's an area where there's a lot of um, misunderstanding around the, 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 the integrity of the products and, and matching it to the, the manufacturer data. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think, you know, we've we've certainly covered a lot, I think. In the, I mean, we've been talking for about an hour or so. Um, and I've, what I'm taking away from it, the fundamental is manufacturers, sort your data out <laughs> in, a, in, in a nutshell. Um, but one thing that has been... Um, that I, I was also keen to to understand um, from from you, Sean or or, or Suzanne, was your um, partnership with Trimble Lookins. Um, this has been, I think, I said this earlier on, the biggest um, the biggest benefit for me personally with this with working with working with NG15 is that I never have to do another spreadsheet for Lookins again. Um, so, how did that partnership come about? It sort of by accident, really. It was. We, we had manufacturer customers that were sending spreadsheets, basically, and they said, is there a better way to do it? So we first approached Lookings probably about two and a half years ago mm -hmm. um, because they've never, Lookings have been around for 40, 50 years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a long time. Mm -hmm. They are, you know, they have a, they have a unique code called, it's called the TSI code, which is embedded in systems throughout the country. You know, it's this is that connector bit, they're doing that. But they've predominantly been known for transactional data, which is the core data, as they call it, which is basically your invoice pricing. description, trade pricing, you know, and the TSI code, which is, which the industry relied on to deliver those trade prices for, for, for years and, and still does to today. But they also had a, they also had a, another part of this is what's called Lookings Live, mm -hmm. which was more than just transactional data. It was actually the, you know, the, Anything from BIM files, 3D modeling objects, product data, data sheets, installation instructions, all these things. Uh, but I think that from a manufacturer perspective, that had been sort of left to one side because it was always the transactional bits. But they do a lot more than that. They do a lot more. So what we we thought is that our first our first objective was, was can we just send you information from our manufacturers? That was the first thing. But then we realized that the whole syndication model was really important because if we could use what they'd already what they were already connected to we could get the manufacturers to get the data right we could then create this syndication model this end-to-end -end solution leveraging what they'd already got leveraging what we'd got and allowing you guys to talk to your customers directly with product data so that's how it all came about and we, we we've got a great partnership now and we've got lots of manufacturers sending it you know direct to lookings uh, and, and its process and we have uh, we have some plans to increase that in, in, in the coming year. Lovely. It's, def it's really encouraging. I mean, I think I've said a couple of times in the past hour or so that we don't seem to talk enough as an industry. And it's your, you seem to have kick-started that 
conversation digitally, which is quite, this is really encouraging. Um, I think we should mention ETIM, to be fair. Okay. Yeah, I think, you know, ETIM for me, European Technical Information Model, mm-hmm. uh, it's been around since the 90s, predominantly uh, in, 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 in the Benelux countries in the early days, Finland, you know, um, brought in by the EDA in the UK. I think it has some legs, uh, you know, from my perspective, because it helps sort of nurture the sort of attribute and specifications and they're more standardized. You know, because if you take, if you go to 20 lighting manufacturers and you just take something like beam angle, yeah, you know, one will say beam angle degrees, one will say angle of beam, you know, <laughs> degrees of angle. I mean, they'll call it, you know, they're probably 20 different names. Yeah. But in ETIM, there's one. And that and that does help. Yeah. So I think ETIM has, has a future. Uh, but it's, I think it's more established in European countries because it's the European technical information right. model. Uh, and, and, and the great thing is translatable as well. So if you're using uh, part of it in the UK or, or, in, or in France, you can directly translate it to Spain mm. because it's, it's a global model. So I think that does have some legs for the future. And I think, uh, I, I think in the UK, it's still at its embryonic stage. It's not really gaining traction yet right. um, there's different formattings systems would have to be amended and, and everything else but I think it's something that's on the horizon for me we do have customers doing ETIM files today yeah you know uh, we've got quite large customers that, that that actually we've got customers that only do ETIM haven't we Susan I think we have yeah, yeah. and that, of course our pin solution supports ETIM yeah we, we always support it uh, and I think it's important to, to continue to do so uh, it will start to become more important um, what that time frame is, I've got no idea. That was going to be my next question. Yeah, I don't because but my only the only reason I was going to ask that was because we've I said earlier this is the, to to get all this from out of these different silos and put it into into one central source of truth as you as you said. Um, it is a, a laborious task. You have to commit the time to doing it, um, and you have to really be dedicated. So I think there's because we're you know we're talking about um, getting our data out of these silos and into one place. Then you've got CCPI. Um, the the golden thread eating. Do, do you feel like it's just a it maybe it's a bombardment of information? It does get confusing. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, lan- the landscape is confusing, and the um, just to pick on what what Sean said there about eating. I, I I agree. The, these things have a place, and mm-hmm. and it's you know it's gathering it's gathering some momentum. But but it, it there's a danger with some of these. Um, sort of activities that they're, they're upsell too much and each one of them has a place within the sort of transactional journey so you know if you're looking at a taxonomy system a classification system they're important when you come to product selections or product replacement so maybe at the beginning at the end of the journey but what once once a product's already been pre-selected or determined against a given contract then what what you need is you need a unique identifier mm-hmm. to, to identify that product unequivocally that that's the item that, that's going to be delivered to the client and installed in the building the the um the classification system becomes less prominent so each one of them has to be kind of, of these initiatives and acronyms has to be understood and where they fit within the whole transactional journey that's the important part for me what i would say as well is if you have confusion about all of these things don't just sit there you know have a one-to-one with sean or or phil and take that advice that advice comes completely free mm-hmm. and we can help you to understand whereabouts you are in your journey and where you need to perhaps consider these things in a structured way mm-hmm. you don't need to do everything at once you just need to start the journey somewhere i think I, I, just before we, we wrap up i'd like to mention the unique identifier because that is key now 
In the UK currently, we have a unique identifier which is used by Luckins called the TSI code. It's been established for a long, long time. And I would say it's probably used by 80, 90% of the industry, probably. Yeah, the bulk of the industry has, 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 adopted, has adopted it. it. But it, was never in, un, it was never intended to be that kind of, that unique identifier in that sense. It's a, it, it does belong to, to Luckins. It's yeah. that they, you use it on a license. You do, yeah. yeah. But but it is a unique. And now there's been talk about like GTIN and yeah. And things being brought in just one and all these other things. Uh, I don't do. What's your thoughts on that? I'm, I'm not really because I'm very focused on TSI. I mean, we do in EPIM, we do store the GT code anyway. We've got a place for it, the barcode. We you can put the number in there. Yeah. But is there room for two identifiers? I I'm quite passionate about this. The 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 the, the industry needs to and agree the adoption of a unique identifier. For me, um, GS1 with their global offering and their set of standards are in, are in pole position. They've, they've got, they've got a, a solution that you could, you can fit within to construction. Th things are never perfect, but it, but it's certainly got some fantastic foundations and is already adopted in, in other countries as well. The, if you, if you want to make comparisons against, let's say the, the TSI code, ultimately all of these, all these codes just sit in different fit in separate fields within a database. Yeah. They're just system codes. Coin uh, the the coin system, for example, um, you know that that can that can adopt the Luckins codes, uh, the, the TSI code. But really, it's more of a philosophical agreement that the industry needs to get behind, mm -hmm. not not specifically driven by a system. Everybody needs to agree that they're going to adopt a given code, and that's not only communicated via via machine. Um, through sort of uh, whether it's through uh, some sort of SQL database or whether it's into an ERP system, but it's about f physically being able to read a human read it as well and recognise that now oh, yeah that is the unique identifier. That's the code that I can pass to every single person in the supply chain, and also could be then be maybe scanned as well to to receipt the goods and to evidence it. You know, put it on a barcode. Um, physically trace it within within a building, et cetera. There's got to be a, a more kind of, like say, philosophical agreement first and foremost. Yeah. I feel uh, it's almost, I say almost, it's practically inevitable that that's the way we're going to end up in any case. It, with, the, with the, you know, with, with barcode scanning and everything, like, you know, Amazon's pioneered the way for everybody, but um, it's it's going to happen. I think in any in any data format, ultimately, it it has to be machine readable. It's got to be, you know, yeah, yeah. going forward. I mean, there's all these things that you can read online about the, the, the digital product passports and all these things that are coming out. But if you look at what they're saying, they're saying that it's got to be machine readable. Yeah. You know, it's got to be something that you can scan, a computer can scan and take because that's what digital is. You know, we shouldn't be handwriting numbers. We should be saying beep, beep. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, has to, it has to be, like say, uh, digital. But the adoption of the, uh, a code like the, the, the GTIN, it's... Their their sort of basic most basic code allows you to allocate. It's just a number against a given product, and that then allows you to recognise that item. And you know, if you look at what the retailers do, as we, as we all know, when we, when we do our shopping, you, you know, we use those codes all the time. But as well as that, the um, the, the GTIN or the standards allow you to have um, batching and serialisation codes, mm. so you can have a specific code which relates to one individual product, which again is important as we put more complex products into buildings to recognize that that, is, that in that instance, it's that given item. And there's also then a GLN as well, which will give you the location reference as well for that product. So you can tie all these things together and you then can truly start to build this, this model of information yeah. against, you know, that that is the product that we installed in the building. That's its location. Here's the maintenance history for it, et cetera.
But I think that because the TSI core is already established in lots of systems, the 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 GTIN core could just be attached next to it in another field. Yeah. It's just another field. It doesn't need to be replaced. It just needs to. Yeah. But if we adopt it and say that, because it's more difficult to alter multiple systems yeah. than it is to just add another field. So you'd have the, so the GTIN could potentially be an a, almost an alias code to the TSI code. In some ways, yeah. yeah, absolutely. But the key thing is, is for again for 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 people to recognise which is the primary key, because you could have you could have a, a, you know you could have twenty thirty different identifiers. I mean, when you add an item to an ARP system, it will give it its own stock reference, its own unique code anyway yeah, within the system. within the database. But that's not necessarily that's uh, drawn out and used in in a transaction. But the the GTIN really needs to be, in my, in my opinion, the one that, that the industry adopts as, as, the, as the unique identifier. Well, that's an interesting point to raise because, again, going back to the, you know, talking across all levels of the supply chain in the construction industry, that seems to be, you know, a nice driver for everybody to, to, to get together. But how do we do that? How do we, how do we get everybody in that philosophical sense behind one identifier? <laughs> uh, there is a um, within GS1. There, there is a um, a construction. I can't think of the the, the word now. I should do because uh, I'm the co-chair. But um, I'm trying to think of the, of the word for it. But, but basically, um, we we have these uh, meet. We have these meetings where we bring like-minded individuals together, manufacturers, um, supply chain partners, etc., looking to drive the adoption of of the GTIN. And the the idea is is that that. The the beauty about it for me is that GS1 are not for profit, uh, that so they they offer their standards and they're basically in some sense they have no skin in the game. They just say there's our standards. We you know we we provide the the structure around them and obviously they're doing this at a global level as well. It's really down to the industry to collaborate and to and to look at these things and to get behind it. And the more people that then start to adopt it and then drive it through a transaction, because it's not just the there are already um, hundreds of manufacturers in the UK which have a GTIN. You can you can look them up now. They, they, they may have them um, in their database. They may even use them on on a label. But the actual um, are they using a transaction? Are they sort of used in anger? Is what we need to be doing. So if you take your your products, um, you know, um, do you ever push? Um, the adoption of a GTIN to your supply chain or does your supply chain ever come to you and say, do you have GTINs? We'd like to be able to use them. It's happened a couple of times uh, in the past, I want to say six months or so. Um, yeah. So we, and we've been able to provide that information. That's good. Yeah. So it's a starting point. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, like you said, you know, th- th- this, there's an, Im- it's almost imperative of us to, to start to, to drive it up the supply chain. Instead of just wait for people to, because then we'd be in the reactive yeah. ones, you aren't we? To, <laughs> you need to sort of top and bottom approach to, to yeah. these things. But the, even to use uh, Sean's analogy earlier on the kind of eighty twenty principle, you couldn't use that for the adoption of the GTIN because if you want, if you were a say you were a merchant and you wanted to move to the adoption and use the GTIN, you know, for scanning purposes and for for managing stock. Unless all the products within your that you were selling within your warehouse on your your system had adopted the GTIN and had a code allocated to them, then you're not going to be able to do it. It'd be like going into a supermarket and just having twenty percent of the shelves which don't have a barcode. Yeah. It, it it doesn't work. It's got, it's got to be almost a wholesale shift to saying right, we are now going to adopt this. The industry and that and because the construction is so complex, so you've got clients, you've got contractor, you've got subcontractors, you've got supply chain partners, and they're separated as well. Then you've got the designers, etc., and the manufacturers. It all needs to be brought together. But there, it is 
it is improving and there is work in progress on, on that front. Yeah, we are providing, I mean, when you when you access the booking stage now, the, the GT code is in there. Yeah, for, it is. You know, and so that helps. Mm. Uh, it doesn't, you know, it, it just makes it easier because that GT is like machine readable. That, yeah. That's what it is. Uh, so we don't have to alter systems out there. We just need to add the data field. Yeah. There's about 460,000 cheatings at the moment within the Lookins database at the, at the yeah. last count. So it's, you know, it's well, it's well on the way to um, to being adopted. But if if manufacturers stay on the fringes, if they say, oh, it doesn't affect us, we don't need to do it, we don't need to get involved in the adoption of that, then that potentially is going to, um, you know, delay the process. Okay. And I think for me, because there's no change in systems, because obviously the TSI course still exists, it's been around for a long time. We're just adding a field. It solves the problem. It is. Mm. So it's not. Oh, we've all got to adopt a new technology. We mm. haven't. We've just got to add the field, yeah. and then, like I say, four hundred sixty thousand. Well, that's about, I don't know, it's probably about forty percent of their data it is, already. It is about that, yeah. So, you know, we're well on the way. So, if the manufacturers can, they've probably all got like back to basics. Yeah, get the data right. Get the yeah. get the duty encoded. Add it to the other data. We'll push it in there. We'll push it straight up there, and it becomes adoptable. And there's probably manufacturers that have already signed up to. Um, um, GS1 standards um, and maybe have some codes. They just haven't provided them to, to look in, so they haven't let, yeah. let NG15 know that they've got them. If you want to sell on Amazon, you need a GT. Yeah. So, the, you know, there are... Uh, GS1 is a member-led organisation. I think they're close to 3,000 members within within the, their construction sector. Mm -hmm. Now, some of those might be small sellers that just sell on, on, on online marketplaces, which don't, you know, don't really affect the, the construction sector as, as we know it. But, but it is all part of the mix. Um, th there's one question I'd like to just ask each of you, which yeah. is a bit of a catch you off guard, so my apologies, but just interested in your outlook for the construction industry, 2023. Who wants to go first? Well, for me, I mean, I just think it's collaboration. Um, I think we all need to come together. I think manufacturers need to get um, more savvy in the way they're thinking about moving forward. I think they need to really talk to us about their data and, and what their plan's going to be and let us help them to structure that. Yep. Um, I think, you know, it's starting at that base level. And even if it's a massive, you know, if you've got a lot of data, a hell of a lot of data, it doesn't matter. Talk to us and start off small. These are bite-sized steps that you need to take. Um, there's no rush to get to the end and you never will get to the end but you need to start somewhere and I think that comes with collaboration and talking to the experts that would be my advice I think from my perspective I think we we're absolutely collaboration but I think sometimes I feel there's just too many initiatives right you know we've got like one place from the NMBS we've got the Builders Merchants Federation doing eating we've got DEA doing something else there's a lot of initiatives and and they're all sort of going down uh, digital product passports is another one I've heard about you know the and we can't have all we can't do every single initiative for every single thing so more collaboration more talk to bring it together a little bit better right. uh, whether CCPI will do that in the future who knows don't know where we are with all of that but we we you know that's really my take on it we just need to sort of be a bit more collaborative as Suzanne says and responsible. And responsible, yeah. I concur with all that. I think my experience of the construction industry is that, um, you know, 
from um, an economic perspective, it, it always lags behind um, in terms of because you know spend is typically agreed, put in place, and then the, the, the buildings are worked on, etc. So you've always got this this knock on effect in terms of the way of the economy affects it, which you know c- could come later down down the line. But I think that um, the adoption of the um, digital information and people to get behind uh, specifically for me the unique identifier is going to be make it make a massive difference because what that will bring it will bring uh, some accuracy and transparency to, to the whole conversation and at the moment I think that's what's missing well just before we wrap up then uh, Suzanne Sean ng15 where can people uh, where should people go to find you find out more about the services you offer okay well they can obviously find us from our website online ng15 or the epim.co.uk um, we also are marketing our, our webinars. We've got some new webinars coming up in March, and also with Lookins. Yeah, we're doing webinars well. for both manufacturers and also we've got some new ones coming along with, okay. with new initiatives that we're bringing in. So they'll be starting from March, uh, yeah. and we, we encourage people just come and listen. I think you attend some of them, Phil, don't you? Come yeah, on just to go. listen, yeah, and I know you do. Yeah. Uh, it's just LinkedIn great to talk well. and listen. Yeah. You know. find us on LinkedIn. We're on LinkedIn. Yeah, we're all, all yeah. We're not hard to find. We're not hard to find. <laughs> Phil, same question. Um, yeah, so my um, the business that I've set up, Information Management Squared, is uh, fledgling. So the, the website should be up and running uh, ne- next week. So people can find that at uh, imsquared.co.uk. Um, or find me on the usual uh, LinkedIn channels. Uh, all my details are on there. So yeah, feel free to, to reach out, have a conversation about, uh, um, see how we can help each other. Brilliant. And as always, we hope uh, to people listening, this was interesting, informative, insightful, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you very much. Thank you.